right, so we gotta start the whole intro over again. Here no worries. Yeah, part two. There you go. There you go. That's a real rock and roller right there. And hey, we are here to answer some burning questions. Played some rock and roll with you last week. We're doing more. Talked about COVID last week. Dr. Jeffrey Barkey, thank you very much. This is Resurrecting Our Freedom. I'm Dr. Fred Domenico. I'm Dr. Douglas DeSiena. And we're going to answer some burning questions that all you listeners have. As millions of people around the world are getting vaccinated, we're seeing adverse effects. We're seeing, you know, people aren't affected. People are affected. What's really going on? And uh, we're, we're glad to have you here with us to be able to share your wisdom. Great to be with you guys. Thanks for inviting me. I'm in my backyard because my wife kicked me out of the house because she's got a Zoom meeting or something going on. Now, the good news about that is in my backyard, every once in a while, I'll light up one of these. And I know you wanted to talk about vaccines. And I've got a essay about vaccines in my book. The foreword of this book is written by my, my dear friend, Dennis Prager. And Prager's got a fireside chat that he does weekly, and he always has a cigar and he's sitting in front of a fireplace with his dog. And for a while, YouTube banned his videos in part because he would fire up a cigar. So kind of apropos to that, I thought I'd fire up a cigar as well. So glad to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Rx for Liberty is my website, rxforliberty.com. There's links to essays that I wrote. My book can be uh, purchased there either through Amazon Amazon, or if you don't want to go through Amazon, and I don't blame you, there's a link directly to my publisher. Uh, there's a extended essay in there all about viruses, including, uh, not viruses, vaccines, including what we're going to talk about today. So happy to answer any questions that you have about the vaccine or anything else related to COVID, or we can talk sports if you want as well. Let's start with the vaccine. That's a burning question on a lot of people's minds. And again, there is information out there that this is a safe and effective vaccine, as if it's been around for a while. People have no idea this is actually a novel idea. And so if you can start out the program explaining to our listeners what an mRNA vaccine is. Yeah, excellent. So the M in mRNA stands for messenger. And the genetic material in a virus, in this particular virus, is RNA. Um, and some, some viruses and bacteria have DNA, and that kind of reminds me, a bacteria is sort of like a microscopic little bug. It crawls around, it can swim, it's, it's, it's a living entity. A virus is not alive. A virus can only be alive by using the genetic material inside a cell. So it's, like a, it's almost like a parasite. It's gotta hang on to the genetic material inside a cell for it to replicate, for it to grow, unlike a bacteria, which is a you know microscopic living organism. Um, so mRNA, messenger RNA, is the instruction manual that our cells use to create proteins. So you go to Ikea, you buy a big piece of furniture, you bring it home, you open up the box, there's like 8,000 pieces you regret ever going because you know there's no way you're gonna be able to put that together. You take out the instruction manual that's written in like eight point font and you get to work. So the instruction manual for our cells to manufacture proteins is messenger RNA. So 
We have had messenger RNA technology for a long time. It's never been used in a vaccine. It's been used to create cancer therapy, for example, but never before has it been used in a vaccine technology. So we inject this messenger RNA into your body. There is a special um, uh, uh, derivative that's with that messenger RNA that allows it to get into the cell, every, every one of our cells. And then that messenger RNA is the instruction manual that our cells will look at and go, okay, I got this, it's not so hard. And it will tell our cells to produce a specific protein. And the messenger RNA is designed to instruct the cell to produce a protein that looks almost identical to the spike protein on the COVID-19 virus. And then once we manufacture that protein, then our immune system says, wow, look at this protein. It doesn't look like one of us. So we're going to stimulate our immune system to create antibodies against this protein. So now messenger RNA tells our cell to produce a COVID looking protein. Our body's immune system responds, creates an antibody. That antibody then is available. So if we get infected with the virus, now we already have a standing army antibody against that specific um, spike protein of the virus. That's what messenger RNA is. So why is it controversial? For a couple reasons. We've never done it before. We've never used messenger RNA technology in a vaccine before, ever. Now, it may be great. It may turn out to be Nobel Prize kind of level stuff, and, and I hope it is. But we've never done it before. So you would think if we're going to bring brand new technology to the vaccination world, that we'd want to try it out for a while, test it for a few years. I know, like we do with every other vaccine that we bring to market, we test it on animals to make sure something doesn't go horribly wrong and we kill animals before we put it into human beings. As a matter of fact, let me tell you a little story. Coronavirus, which is a type of, uh, which is what COVID is, a type of coronavirus, uh, uh, COV, uh, SARS-CoV-2 um, is what the virus is actually caught, called. COVID is the name of the disease caused by this virus. So coronavirus has been around forever. It's the most common cause of common cold. And we've been working on a vaccine for common cold. Wouldn't that be great? So we don't have to get colds you know, periodically. So they've tested these out before, vaccines to common cold, and they try it in typically in ferrets. Ferrets are like a guinea pig with you know, no, no insult meant to guinea pigs, but ferrets, have similar immune systems the way we produce antibodies. So they use it in ferrets. And what they've done for years is they test this thing on ferrets, looks good, seems to work, antibody production occurs, and they go, wow, this is fantastic. Say goodbye to the common cold. But then they take these ferrets and they expose them to the actual virus to see, okay, now let's see if the stuff actually works. Expose the ferret to the virus and paradoxically, these, these ferrets die. They have a hyperimmune um, inflammatory response. And this is a common phenomenon. So one worry about this new messenger RNA virus is, could we possibly be setting people up for an immune enhancement scenario 
where you get the virus, you get the vaccine, you kind of feel good, you think you're protected, but now you come in contact with the virus itself. And rather than being protective, could it have a opposite effect where there's a hyperbolic uh, immune response where it ends up harming us rather than helping us? So that's one of the problems. The other can problem, you, can you pause I heard this. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, this is pause. So this is put this so that it becomes easy for people to understand. So what we're saying is we give these people an mRNA vaccine. We have them, their cells recognize the spike proteins. They get that specific virus that say they get infected with it. After the fact, now because they are hyper-responsive, their body creates what we call a cytokine storm, a high inflammatory process. And sometimes if they have other comorbidities, this hyper-inflammatory response syndrome can actually kill them. Is that correct? I couldn't have said it better myself. The second problem with this, and I was listening to this uh, virologist who's worked in the vaccine field that's been going around on the internet recently. Can't remember the guy's name. He's got kind of a funny name. And he's worked for Novartis. He's worked for GlaxoSmithKline. He's worked for the Gates Foundation developing viruses. The guy's fully legit. And he says, listen, we need to put the brakes on this thing because not only could there be a uh, unexpected response where we have a cytokine storm when we're actually exposed to the real virus. But the other problem is these antibodies that are being made very narrowly specific to the spike protein. If a, if a variation of the virus comes along, we've heard about all these new viruses that have been mutated uh, that potentially are more virulent and potentially more dangerous. So if one of these new viruses come along, We've got these antibodies that are sort of like blocking antibodies. They're causing our own immune system to stand down rather than react like they're supposed to react. So could we be setting people up for, a, um, for an infection that we're not set up to fight against because the original antibodies aren't going to work because these viruses have mutated and these antibodies are now blocking our innate, natural, powerful immune system to react to this virus. So that's his other concern. Um, and listen, I, I don't know if you guys saw this interview. It was this, um, I don't know where this reporter was, but he interviewed Dr. Fauci himself. It was kind of cool. And he said, Dr. Fauci, messenger RNA, we've never done this before, right? Dr. Fauci said, no, but it's really exciting. But there's been limited testing, so how do we know that's safe? Dr. Fauci said something like, and I'm paraphrasing, well, if something really bad is going to happen with a vaccine, it's going to happen, you know, within the first several months. So I think we're pretty good and we're confident that it's going to work. So don't worry about it. What could possibly go wrong? So Dr. Fauci himself admitted this vaccine has limited testing. He's optimistic. I'm hopeful. Don't get me wrong. I hope we come up with the greatest vaccine that will protect everybody. But there is risk. And what many of us are saying is I'm not saying that I'm anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax, but I'm anti, but I'm pro-informed consent. So all I want is people to understand the truth behind the vaccination. And if they want to make a decision to get it, I'm cool with that. But we shouldn't be, um, you know, advertising, getting celebrity endorsements, you know, selling this stuff like it's a you know, some craft beer that everybody should run out and taste. We should be telling people the truth and allowing people to make their own informed decision. And if that's that, be, that because they're at high risk, 
they think even though it's a, it's, it's a bit untested and that there's potential risk down the road that they wanna make that decision, I'm good with that. I just wanna make sure they have informed consent. Well, we were just talking about that interview. I believe his name was Gert Van Bosch. And, uh, you know, his resume is very impressive, obviously. And, and, he, and he was pro-vaccination. And to your comment, say we're not, you know, you say you're not anti-vax. Well, we're, we are pro-safe and effective. We are pro-natural immunity and we are pro-humanity. And there is not a safe and effective vaccination that exists. And so if, if you want to stigmatize people and say that we're anti-vax, yes, I'm anti-vaccination because I'm pro-humanity. And so the whole thing is, you know, like I understand the science and your comment that, hey, I hope you win the Nobel Prize, but the reality is ain't gonna win the Nobel Prize. We're ready for a zombie apocalypse for really what's gonna happen because if this, if he's right and, and probably one of the most credentialed people on the planet, he wasn't, he wasn't mixing his views. He's in, he didn't use the word, this might, we should, he didn't use uh, mediocre, minimizing words. He was very strong that here's the chemistry of this thing, here's how it works, and here's what we should expect. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, he, he is pro-vaccination. He's been instrumental in the development of multiple vaccinations across many, many years. He, he worked on uh, bringing an Ebola vaccine to market. So. He, he's got high credentials and he's pro-vaccination. He's just very nervous about this particular vaccine because of the messenger RNA and because of the very limited testing, including no animal testing. And now, you know, I was just reading that they're opening up testing on children and there's a test group of, uh, of pregnant women uh, that are signing up for this vaccine too, which I think is just crazy. Um, so, you know, I'm just promoting informed consent. And when I want people to learn about the whole history and the details of this, you know, I'm called a quack and I'm called an anti-vaxxer and I'm neither. Um, but I think it's important that people understand the truth and make their own decision. I trust people more than I trust government. And when I hear all, you know, four former presidents get out there and encourage vaccines without any detailed information, about what this vaccine is and why they might want to have caution. I, I just think that's wrong. Well, and two of the challenges are one we've already talked about that you brought up and they call it pathogenic priming and, um, you know, where, where the second exposure creates, if you want to put it plainly, an exponential effect in this. And Gert was actually saying how the antibody complex with the virus that the antibodies can actually promote the passage of the virus into the cell, not to mention the fact that vaccination immunity, like one of the things he said was you should never put a vaccination in the midst of a pandemic because vi viruses naturally will try and fight it and adapt. And so we're getting super viruses. And what they're saying is the more potent virulent uh, mutations of this virus are coming from the countries that were the initial trials. Yes. You know, the analogy he used, which is, I think is a good one, is, um, you know, often when we prescribe antibiotics for somebody because they're really ill, the tendency is, let's say it's a two-week course of antibiotics and they're feeling better after five or six days, the tendency is to stop the antibiotic because you're feeling better. 
And that's the absolute wrong thing to do because all you're doing when you do that is you're stimulating the bacteria to grow resistance to that to the antibiotic. You know, here's the other good example. It's hydroxychloroquine. So when we send, when patients go over to like the game parks in Africa uh, to see the animals and they wanna be protected against um, uh, malaria, we give them hydroxychloroquine and other medications for that. And the instructions always is, you take it before you're exposed and you must continue for a couple of weeks after you get back. And the reason being is it's not really preventing the malaria, it's treating the malaria that you get so it doesn't become symptomatic. So if you leave the game park and you say, you know, I'm good to go, I'm stopping my hydroxychloroquine and you actually have some malaria in you that the hydroxychloroquine has been treating and you stop it, that's now gonna become clinically apparent. It's gonna get worse than it otherwise would be and it could make you very ill. So his analogy was this vaccine is the wrong tool for this particular war because if we use this vaccine, we may actually be stimulating and encouraging resistant uh, viruses uh, to become available. So it's the wrong way to approach it. What's the right way? The right way is what Dr. Jay Bhattacharya had suggested. I had the opportunity to meet him. And that's the Great Barrington Declaration. And what he says is, listen, we know who's at risk of, for this. It's not kids. It's not young people with strong immune systems. It's the older folks. That's why 80% of all deaths from COVID-19 are in people that are 65 years and older. And of those folks, 94% have significant comorbidities, underlying illness. So we know who's at risk. We should protect them aggressively. And for the rest of us that really aren't at risk, we should go about our day. Many of us will get exposed most will not have symptoms or have mild symptoms and will develop God-given natural immunity because we have really powerful immune systems. You know, it's funny. I'm writing an essay right now. It's going to come out, oh, probably in the next couple of days. And it's called An Apple a Day. And it's about medical education. And I asked the question, why is it that chiropractors, naturopaths, even DOs, osteopathic physicians are far better at advising people about natural solutions to health, how to eat properly, how to exercise, how to reduce stress, what supplements are good to take. Why are you all so much better than us MDs at, at teaching and knowing this stuff? And the answer in part is because during medical school, we don't get jack from an education standpoint in things that should be highlighted and emphasized. And that is our natural immunity how to live a healthy lifestyle, what supplements are good for us, what does good nutrition look like? I mean, I'll bet you that most physicians, MDs, have never read a nutrition study or a nutrition book. And so, you know, we, we lead with that that we're taught. And we're so influenced by big pharma because there's, um, you know, there's financial incentive for big pharma. You know, in, in the 1980s, late 80s and early 90s, when the FDA started allowing advertising of pharmaceutical companies on TV, there was an explosion in the use of pharmaceuticals. And then later on, they even removed the requirement from a list of all those side effects. Remember that? We'd see side effects and you'd go, who, who the heck would wanna take that? May cause you know, liquid discharge without your, without your knowledge. 
an erection that will last for three hours, you know, all this kind of stuff. They eliminated the need for all these detailed side effects, warnings in their commercials. And exponentially, more we start prescribing more and more medications. And so the reality is that a physician today should be trying to get patients off prescription medication. We should be health advocates and coaches to teach patients how to eat properly, how to exercise, how to lower their stress, how to take care of their God-given immune system so they're capable of fighting off the next virus that comes out of you know Wuhan laboratory, et cetera. Hey, I want to cut you off because you said two really funny things that I can't let pass. An erection that lasts three hours? Is that <laughs> yeah, funny? now, first of all, that Why commercial, if they say, well, erection that last, erection that lasts three hours or more, call your doctor. I'd be like, I'm calling my girlfriend. I'm not, I'm not calling my doctor. I'm calling my girlfriend. And maybe my ex-girlfriend, too. I don't know. <laughs> hey, that's one really funny thing that you said. Well, you didn't really say it, but... And then the next thing is, is you said that kids don't get it, young people don't get it, but the people that get it are over 65... And we just turned 60, so we're young. How badass is that? The older I get, the younger, uh, you know, the younger uh, that uh, low risk is. But, you know, I mean, the reality is, listen, I've, I've treated hundreds and hundreds of patients with COVID, including those at very, very high risk that were older. And I've only had one patient end up in the hospital. I've had, thank God, no deaths from COVID. Maybe I'm lucky and not good. I don't know. But I think the key to treating this is early intervention when somebody has mild symptoms before it gets bad. I've had a number of kids come down with COVID. They do great. There's a 24-year-old now that I'm treating. Actually, I don't even need to treat. He's on nothing but supplements. And he had a mild headache and a little cold symptom. This was a couple, three days ago, and he's feeling better already. So young people do really, really well. Why? You know, I don't know, but I think it's because they have very powerful immune systems that are much more capable of fighting off some of this stuff. And as we get older, especially if we're not taking care of ourselves, our immune systems kind of wane and they're not quite as capable at fighting off uh, these types of infections. So protect the old for sure, protect those that are most vulnerable. And if we're young and healthy, we should, we should go about our business, open up the schools, open up restaurants and shops and so forth. Well, and they were talking about, uh, this was also on that video uh, with Gert, was um, how the antibodies that are created through the vaccination are actually very powerful antibodies. And like what you said, it actually, and I've seen other articles and studies where it suppresses our natural immunity. And there, it was implying that you're going to see people, if they can't fight other infections, you're going to see cancers go through the roof. So what you're really doing is you're trading a fight against a virus that that has a 99.74 survival rate for to get no immune system and leave yourself susceptible to cancer or any other disease. It's possible. Those those antibodies are very powerful, but they're only powerful against a very narrow enemy, and that's the problem. Well, and apparently it overpowers our natural immunity. And th- and that's the that's the worry that it's sort of like, you know, when a guy takes too much testosterone, it shuts down their natural production of testosterone. Uh, Their testicles shrink, literally, when they're on too high dose. And so 
you know, when a guy uses testosterone, you need to be careful. You want to be in the upper limits of the normal range, but you don't want to be way above the normal range because it causes your own natural production of these androgenic hormones to be suppressed. So similarly, you create these powerful antibodies um, uh, artificially, and it, it's telling your own immune system, hey, you stand down, I'm good. You know, we got these antibodies here, immune system, you can kind of go to rest, you know, you're on leave and, and we got you covered. The problem is it only has you covered against this very narrow spike protein. And if the virus mutates, like we're seeing um, that it's happening and that antibody is no longer effective, we could set somebody up unexpectedly and paradoxically to be overwhelmed by the infection without the ability of their own immune system to fight this off. Or any other infection. So we have a, I have a TSA patient and we we're talking about this idea about this mRNA vaccine. And she goes, wait a minute, so let me get this straight. So that would be like my uh, superiors telling us that when we're screening passengers before they get onto the plane, because there's been some people who say wore uh, red beanie caps, that we're gonna be hyper vigilant and only check people wearing red beanie caps. Meanwhile, everybody else's passes right through the TSA without any pre-checks. That's a really good analogy. I haven't heard that one yet. That's I, I think that's correct. Or you know, or you're only looking for a specific type of weapon, but you're letting everybody else go by. Right. So we are in a possibility of a of a catastrophic condition. And the other point I wanted to make real quick was uh, to go back to those 66 books that uh, I think you and I and Dr. Fred read all the time. Uh, in the Bible, you never see once, especially in the book of Leviticus, you never see once where they actually quarantine well people. In the Leviticus, they talk about quarantine the very old and the very sick people. They never talk about in the Bible quarantine or, or sequestering young people. And this is the first time. So we've actually broken biblical law, not just not just, you know, a new concept of literally broken biblical law when we started to quarantine young people. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly no biblical scholar. I'll take your word for it. Uh, but even in modern medicine, we've never done this before. We've never, we've never forced quarantined healthy people. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of bad effects. And for some reason, you know, it's like almost everything we do in life. We, we, what are the risks and what are the benefits, whether it's driving your car fast, the benefits are obvious and the risks are as well. And we make those decisions, but we're doing things with, with only risk mitigation in mind. Um, and, and what we think are benefits, we're not looking at what, what the consequences are of our decisions. So as we lock the healthy down, we're not only we're killing their immune system because people are sitting in, in their house, they're not out exercising because they're not allowed to go to the gym. They're not out um, in their house of worship, which is really important for people's psyche and their soul. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not out going for a jog. We're doing the same thing for our kids. It's no wonder that we're seeing obesity skyrocket. I can't tell you how many people come in and you know they put on the COVID-20, right? So the, now they're, they're overweight, they're not fit, they've got other diseases. Just literally today, I saw a guy, high blood pressure, out of control, the medicine he's on isn't working. His weight is up 40 pounds since the beginning of COVID. And now we're having to react to it because he doesn't feel good. Suicide rate amongst teens is the highest we've ever seen. More teens have died from 
suicide than from COVID-19. And it's our fault. The adults are doing this. Um, mental health crisis is skyrocketing. Alcoholism, domestic violence, um, child abuse, you name it. And it's getting worse. And these are the consequences. Nobody sat down and said, huh, what's the downside to quarantining the healthy to try to save a few people? And is it worth it? So the reality is the virus is going to do what the virus is going to do, whether we quarantine, whether we go out and about and so forth. And so in my opinion, this was the wrong approach. We should have been protecting the most vulnerable and we should have allowed the rest of us to go about our business so we can get to herd immunity quicker and not just rely on a vaccine to try to get us to a place that is completely untested and potentially dangerous. So I think you said a very, a very important thing. And you said the responsibility, I'll paraphrase, is on the adults. And I was speaking with someone yesterday who is a teacher and she doesn't want to get the vaccination. She wants to go back and teach, but school's telling her she's got to get vaccinated. So she doesn't want to, so she's staying at home. But there's a time limit on that. And, you know, she's in the general public. She goes, I've been trying to search this, but it's so hard to find the information. But she found it. And what I was trying to tell her was the problem is exactly what you said, is they're, they're following the herd. And they're not standing up to say, there's a condition in the world that is telling me how to run my family. So I'm going to do it without doing any homework. And so... To her point, she said, well, you know, because of all the censoring, it's hard to find, but she found it. What was it? And you can find it. DuckDuck.go, is it? DuckDuckGo. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Dell, Dell Bigtree. And I mean, yeah, there are resources. If you, if you want to dig and you want to find out what the truth is, and if anybody thinks that mainstream media has their best interests or the government has their best interests or pharmaceutical companies have their best interests, then you haven't been paying attention for decades. No, I agree with you. And, you know, I'm not anti-pharma, you know? I mean, there, there, are some, uh, there are some drugs that have come to the market that have been life-saving. I mean, we all think about insulin, for example, for the type 1 diabetic, or asthma inhalers for, for asthmatics, or, you know, EpiPens for people that have allergic reactions certain cardiovascular medications that are life-saving for heart patients. There's a lot of good out there that has been done. Uh, but, you know, keep in mind that the FDA is in part funded by pharmaceutical companies. So you need to do your own research. You need to be able to see when there's a conflict of interest. And this virus, the other thing that your audience should know is there's a website that's run by the FDA and the CDC called VAERS. Uh, vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, V-A-E-R-S. You can look it up. And if, if I have a patient that has an adverse reaction to COVID vaccine or any vaccine, I'm required to report it to the VAERS system. Most doctors don't even know that it exists. Most patients don't even know that, is, that it exists. Patients can report directly to it. And if you look right now at the COVID vaccine reporting on the VAERS system, You'll see it's, it's been about a week since I looked at it, but there's about 1,500 deaths that are reported um, correlated with this vaccine. And it really only is representing about 10%, maybe 15 of the actual adverse reactions 
from the vaccine because most people don't know about it. Most doctors don't know how to report. Most patients don't know that it even exists. Now I'm not saying causation, it's correlation, but nonetheless, it's a data point that patients should be aware of when they're making a decision to get a vaccine, not just this vaccine, but any vaccination. And I've heard actually uh, Harvard just uh, said, I think it's down as low as 1% uh, of reporting. Uh, one, I want to go through the next vaccine real quick, if you have a moment, and that is the uh, Merck's, uh, not Merck, Johnson, Johnson Johnson vaccine. Oh. Uh, yeah, and, there, and there's a new one that was not approved yet, but there's, it's looking interesting. Uh, but out of the UK, it's called, I think it's called Novavax. And that hasn't been approved, but that's kind of that's kind of interesting too. So the Johnson and Johnson vaccine uses a different mechanism. It's not messenger RNA, it's DNA. And what they do is they take the DNA and they use an adenovirus, common virus, also causes the common cold. They uh, they mutate the virus so the virus itself can't grow and infect you. They stick this DNA messenger, this DNA piece inside the adenovirus. Why do they do that? Because the adenovirus can then get into your cell and deliver that DNA to the genetic material, material of your cell to allow your cell to, to respond to it with an immune reaction. So that's the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So is it any better? You know, it's hard to know. It's not messenger RNA technology. I guess that's the good part. Uh, the downside, though, it's, it's the same concept of creating a very powerful specific antibody against a particular component of the COVID virus. And the same issues present itself. That is, has it been tested on animals to make sure that there isn't an antigenic paradoxical stimulation that can occur and cause a cytokine storm? No. Has there been any long-term safety studies to look at? <clears throat> Will it just prime the immune system to now have the rest of the immune system stand down while these powerful antibodies try to fight a virus that is now mutated and is no longer susceptible to the antibodies? We don't know. And so it's the same, the same safety issues arise with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, not to mention there's a lot of people that worry about Johnson & Johnson's history and do they wanna trust this vaccine made by this company? Yeah, we can just talk about talcum powder for one. Uh, last and AstraZeneca one too. A lot of the foreign countries are giving up Astra are not uh, giving out AstraZeneca yeah. vaccination because of all the adverse reactions. Yeah, the Astra. There are many European countries that have put a hold on the AstraZeneca vaccine um, because it's causing some kind of blood clots and all kinds of problems. Of course, the AstraZeneca company says nothing to see here. These aren't the drones that you're looking for. This vaccine is fine. And these countries are saying, we don't think so. We're going to stop using it um, until we can show safety moving forward. So there's already evidence, at least one of these vaccines, we're not using AstraZeneca here in this company, in this country, not yet. Um, so we don't have that to worry about, but it is being used and now withdrawn from many European countries. So uh, Dr. Barkey, I just wanted to also say, talk to our audience real quick. So this vaccine, unlike a drug, even unlike, say, taking an opiate drug, which we now come to find out is extremely addictive, but you can detox off the opiate drug. You can uh, do things to mitigate against other medications if there are side effects. My greatest concern is that people are going to inject this vaccine into their system. It's going to download a bunch of software 
into their DNA and we can't change it. If it turns out to be a really, really bad thing, it's not like we can go back into that cell and retract that messenger RNA and say, okay, software, now we're gonna put a new pair, uh, kind of software back into the cell. We've messed them up for life. That's, that's potentially true. So we don't know that, but that's the worry. And especially when we talk about giving this vaccine to children, it doesn't make sense. Why would we vaccinate a child against a disease that they're not at risk? It doesn't make sense. And why, on, in, why, why in the world would any woman during pregnancy agree to allow themselves to be an experiment with this vaccine? That makes no sense at all. It's quite horrifying, actually. And um, it, it just blows me away that any woman would allow that, allow themselves to be an experiment during pregnancy. Well, it boils down to who are the parents that would vaccinate their kids? Well, I look at what parent, if your kid is not at risk at all, but they're more, just look at all the kids with masks, where children are far more sensitive to oxygen uh, deprivation and CO2 toxicity. You know, so these are people that aren't doing their homework. Are those same parents that put a mask on their kid going to be the same parents that inject their children and change their genetic structure for the rest of their life and seed them for disease? I saw a picture in our, our local paper. Of, I'm here in Southern California of a local high school, and they're very proud that the kids are back playing athletics. And this picture was uh, a, a girls volleyball, beach volleyball team. They're outside at the beach locally, about three miles away, playing volleyball against another team and all the athletes had masks on during this match. And I'm looking at this, that was my reaction exactly. I looked at this and said, great that they're playing, but are you kidding me? You know how unhealthy it is to exercise with a mask on, not to mention that they're outdoors at the beach and these are teenagers. These teenagers are not at risk. They're in the lowest risk environment possible at the beach with the air flowing, fresh air, et cetera. And they've got a mask on. What parent would allow their kid to exercise with a mask on? It makes no sense at all. As a matter of fact, there are some techniques you guys may know better than I. There's some techniques for training with masks on to purposely deprive yourself of oxygen to simulate training at high altitude. So we all know, you know, during the Olympics, a lot of Olympic athletes will go to, you know, mile high Denver, Colorado, or Mexico, where it's high altitude and so forth, purposely train at high altitude. So you're depriving yourself of oxygen to build up hemoglobin and hematocrit and so forth. And there's techniques for doing that even at regular altitude. But for a kid to deprive themselves of oxygen in a low risk environment, I, I mean, it just it's 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 horrifying it's like a really bad sci-fi movie so the question i have for you guys is why what why would parents allow this to happen and and how have we come to a place where more people aren't standing up against government tyranny to say no i'm not going to participate what what do you guys think yeah, that's why we're here. That's well, why we had you on. You know, I was talking to this woman, like I said, the teacher yesterday, and I said, God, you must feel alone because not only should not wear mask teaching, but all the other teachers are in fear of the virus. Right. And so I'm like, man, the way we get this out, the way we get all this frustration out is by doing podcasts 
by being on the phone with doctors, by being leaders, you know what I mean? It's almost like we have to do that to get the insanity out of our mind. You know, that's, that's what I try to do too. And I, I often get a lot of grief when I speak this way. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't mind that people disagree with my opinion. And I would even suggest let's bring somebody on that disagrees and we'll have a, we'll have a polite debate about why they think our perspective is wrong and let's listen and learn and maybe they'll learn from us. But what I can't understand is why, it, why are dissenting voices being shut down and canceled? You know, I don't know if you guys watched the Grammys the other night. I didn't. But I saw little highlights and posts where this hypersexualized lesbian dancing scene was portrayed on primetime Grammy TV. And that's put forward as being perfectly appropriate for our kids to see, but they can't read from a Dr. Seuss book or they can't hear educated dissenting voices about COVID-19. We're, we're so backwards right now. It's, it's almost we're living in a dystopian society right now. It's 1984, an animal farm coming to life right in front of us. And it's quite scary. Yeah. We'll wind it up. Yeah. Well, I mean, after, after that, that kind of explains everything that's going on in the world and the whole agenda behind it, right? And Yeah, so what, what supplements do you guys recommend in general to keep somebody's immune system healthy, independent of just simple, healthy eating and living uh, lifestyle? So okay. if you want me to answer that, so I'm a big believer in reishi mushrooms. Uh, it also is extremely anti-carcinogenic. There's actually an NIH study to show that actually reduces uh, cancers, specifically prostate cancer, by the way. So we recommend that plus zinc plus uh, a vitamin C. Plus, of course, I put my patients on a vitamin D regimen that keeps them between 60 and 80 nanograms per milliliter. I don't care about the 30. I want them up at around 60 to 80. Yes, it's amazing. I, pay, I measure vitamin D on every patient. And, it, you know, I, I see vitamin D's levels typically somewhere between about 25 and 35. And if it's right above that 30 limit, it's not highlighted red on the, on the lab slip. And the patients look at that and they go, oh, good, I'm good for that, right? I go, no, you're not good. You're barely normal in some range that makes no sense to me. I want you at least at 50, and I prefer you up closer to 80 uh, because that's what's healthy for your immune system, uh, for fighting infection, for brain health, for cancer prevention, et cetera. But you know, I, I've seen a lot of grief that uh, Dr. Mercola, for example, gets for making such recommendations where they're really coming after him and other doctors that are making such recommendations. Would love to see your reference on this mushroom product, by the okay, way. I'd be really interested in learning more about it. Maybe you can email it to me. I'll share that with you. And also the Vitamin D Research Council has all kinds of studies on immune function. Vitamin D is responsible for 2,000 rate-limited physiological reactions. So um, to Dr. Fred's point, we use 5,000 IUs as a maintenance dose 10,000 I used to get them up. Yeah, I do that too. Sort of my baseline. I like to always measure it before I make recommendations, but my baseline is 5,000 IU. I like vitamin D along with vitamin K2. I think that's important from what I, from what I understand. Uh, it helps the calcium creation that occurs as a result of vitamin D going where we want it to go, and that's in the bones and not in our arteries. So I always recommend D3 plus K2. And I, and I have I have this on my website, rxforliberty.com, where there's supplement recommendations and so forth. And I always put the disclaimer 
you know, anything I discuss here is not a medical recommendation. Check in with your own physician, have your blood measured, go to somebody that knows what they're doing uh, before you self-medicate and decide on what to do. But vitamin D is pretty safe. I don't want you above 100. You can get toxic on vitamin D. That's not a good thing. But in that 50 to 80 sweet spot, I think that's a healthy place to be. And the last one we did not mention was quercetin, of course. And that's also an important- Yep, I recommend quercetin as well. It's a, it's a great product. It's most traditionally used uh, in for, uh, as a holistic approach to allergies. But because it's an ionophore, it helps, it helps open up the cells to allow zinc to get in. And zinc disrupts uh, viral replication. I think it's a good thing as well. And I would say one of the most important things is chiropractic. Here's a book I wrote, Back to Health. You can go to Elite Coaching, E-L-I-T-E, coachingllc.com, because this has medical research in the relationship. It's, it's medical research, not chiropractic, the relationship between posture, the function of your nervous system, and there's a whole science you're not going to see on CNN. It's called neuroimmunology, and it's the study of the relationship between the nervous system and the immune system, there's a study in here actually from Lancet that says they are so intertwined, they are considered to be the same. Yeah. Your immune I'm system you. is dependent on nervous you know, you system You guys function. get a bad rap way too often. I learned so much from chiropractors. There's a chiropractor down the street from me that I see personally, um, and he teaches me a lot, and we collaborate all the time, and I think uh, it's, a, it's a very valuable resource. Yeah, no question. Well, uh, thank you again. And we're going to put your book and your resources on our uh, site. Awesome. And so people can click on the link and pass through and hopefully they'll purchase your book. And not only that, but use you as an ongoing resource. Would love it. Let's do it again and send me your information too. And I'm happy to link it to my website also. That'd be great. Hey, we love watch smoking that big cigar. We love your big cigar. <laughs> Almost anything in moderation. So once in a while, yeah. I think is perfectly, perfectly acceptable. Yeah, it is. Okay. All right, thanks so much. Hey, we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. We'll see you soon. All right, Talk take care. Me. Peace. All right. Thank you.